0: turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to finish our study. We're calling Jesus and His world. And we're seeing the people and the places and events and they all tied into our Savior. And our goal is to understand these events and see how they connect. We divided the study, if you remember, into four big areas. The end of the Old Testament, between the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, and the end times. Uh, By the way, that's not the four sections you see on that handout, so don't write anything down yet. There's so much information we thought about and said, good gracious, no way you can remember all this, but this can be a good resource for you as you study, especially the the basically the captivity time period and the in between the testament time period. There's a lot of good information there that we don't usually get any other places. So a lot of fun. Well tonight we're ending and we're ending of course with the end times. We saw last week one about the end times. This lesson of course will be about the end times. People love to talk about end times. I mean, everybody does. If you, if you give people the choice and you say, you want to talk about end times, they go, oh, yeah, we want to talk about end times. It's pretty exciting. We're going, to look, or are we, we look, we're going to look at rewards and Jesus coming to the earth and his ruling as the king and the eternal state. So there's going to be a lot of different things we'll see. Well, let me raise a question. What will eternity be like? What will heaven be like? Will it be in the heavens? Or on the earth? Will there be a new heavens and new earth? What will we do? Well, this evening as we finish the study, we're going to see, as we finish the study of Jesus and His world, we're going to see the final things recorded in the Word of God. We'll see the world of Jesus in eternity. And we're just going to touch on certain parts. There's so much more details we could go into. And if, if you have a question or comment, stop me and we'll, we'll try to talk about it. Uh, we just want to be encouraged. As we finish the study, we looked at a lot of things. And the key to all of it is Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God, Savior. Everything revolves around Him. The Old Testament looks forward to Him. The New Testament looks back. He's the beginning. We've looked. We started back with the, the, the fall of the Jewish nation and the kingdoms of Israel and the captivity and the seven Gentile world empires and Jesus coming to the earth and all of those different things. The last lesson. This is what we saw. Last, last lesson we saw in lesson 13 was about Jesus' resurrection, about His teaching, the ascension. If you remember, his teaching for 40 days, and His ascension, His ministry in heaven as our advocate and intercessor, the church, the whole idea of Him coming in the clouds to get us in the rapture. That's what we saw in the last lesson. In this lesson, what we're going to see. Is rewards and Christ's second coming, the kingdom, the eternal state? We're going to see all of those things. That's still not one, two, three, and four. I'm going to give them to you in just a second. I'm tricking you tonight, right? I'm just, yeah, I'm just seeing if you're watching. And, and uh, anyway, uh, so uh, last time we really talked about the death and resurrection of Christ and how he died to pay for sin and he rose to conquer death, walked on the earth for 40 days. So this time, as we look at this final one, we're going to look at rewards. And you can write these down in those four places. We're going to talk about rewards. And let me just say something about rewards as you're writing that down. Do You know, most people don't understand rewards at all. Most people are not taught rewards at all. Most people are taught that eternal life is a reward, as if you can earn it. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the tribulation and the second coming. We're going to talk about the kingdom and the great white throne judgment. And then we're going to talk about the eternal state, so all of those are going to tie together tonight, some in more detail than others. If you have questions or comments, we'll go through that as well so there's a lot of a lot of really good things so let's start <clears throat> with rewards and when we say rewards, remember this and here's here's the key: salvation salvation is a gift cost us absolutely nothing it's by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God is not a worthless; anyone should boast. It's by faith. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we get eternal life. So that's the whole salvation issue. When we talk about rewards, that's different. This is the Christian life. And this is service. And this costs us our lives. And the whole idea of works and rewards tie together. And a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people think works and rewards all tie in for salvation, and that's how you have salvation. We realize that's not true. There's a great principle from the Bible. I've got it down there in Galatians 6, 7. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so whatever you put in, you're going to get out. And and one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that we are going to give an account of ourselves to God. It's actually a little bit scary when you think about it that we give an account of ourselves to God. Look at Hebrews four thirteen. There's nothing hidden from his sight. Wow. Is that now or the future? It's always. It's ever. That's right. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Basically, it says we'll have to give an account in some idea like that. And and look at Romans 14. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, to me every knee will bow, every tongue will give praise to God. Do you understand that? Every knee. That's both believers and unbelievers. And then he says this, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That means that you individually and me individually will stand before our Savior to give an account of our lives. How did we live based on what he gave us to do with the gifts, the talents and abilities that he gave us, the time that he gave us, the possessions, all of the things that he gave us? How did we use them? What will he say? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that's really the, the idea there. And so 2 Corinthians, I told you to, to go ahead and turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to look at something here. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to see the whole idea of rewards and pleasing him and, and the judgment seat of Christ and all those things. But uh, let, let me, let's get a little running start. And if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, he says, We know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house made with hands eternal in the heavens he says when we die we have this we have this earthly tent but one of these days we'll be with Jesus Christ and it'll be different and then he says in verse 6 therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body this body we are what what does it say are y'all looking everybody's looking right a second. we are absent from the Lord so to be here we are what absent from the Lord he says for we walk by faith not by sight but be of good courage I say and prefer rather to be what? Absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So we'd say, wow, while we're here, technically we're absent from the Lord, but when we die, we'll be with Him. And so then he says this, this famous saying, he says, Therefore, whether we, al- we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be what? To be pleasing. And so that's the goal, to be pleasing. And then why? And, and he goes on to say, why? because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So I want you to think about that. And he says, here we are, the goal is to be well-pleasing to God. Why? Because we're going to stand before him. And so as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, our ambition is to be what? To be pleasing, that's our goal. Our ambition, our goal is to be pleasing to Him. Whether you're here or not, well, I mean, when I say here or not, whether you're alive now or whether you're with Him, you want to be pleasing to Him. That's what you want. And, and He gives us some details about this whole idea. And He says this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, We all stand before, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I want to write that down because when you see the word judgment, In Greek, it's bema, B-E-M-A, and it means reward stand. When you see a bema seat, it's called a judgment seat. But it was normally where a king or a leader would sit on this throne-like seat called a bema seat, and he would reward soldiers, he would reward people. He even rewarded people who went like to the Isthmus Games or what we might call Olympic Games they would come back. If they won, they would be rewarded. So when we say we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's the Bema seat of Christ. It is the rewarding seat. And this is written to believers. So notice he says, for we, and, he, and Paul writes we because he's talking about us, all of us together, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed for the deeds in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So one of the things that we have to understand is you're going to Stand before Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. And it's each one. In fact, I want you to look at the three things, okay? Three aspects, so that's the A, B, and C. The A is there's a necessity, a necessity for this accounting. We must all appear. And he's, the way he says it, it's that each one of us, not a group of us, not ten people together, not two people together, not four people together, but each person. So he says, with well, a necessity, we must all appear before the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ. And the purpose is rewards. Notice this. He says that each one may be recompensed. That means given back. That means rewarded. And so you are going to stand before Jesus Christ, and he's going to reward you. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. And then the third part is the evaluation, and that's what, how is the evaluation, how are we rewarded? It's based on our deeds, whether they're worthy or worthless, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So you understand, and we've talked this before, uh, this may be pretty new to some people, uh, a lot of people have never heard about rewards, or when they've heard about rewards, they don't Agree with it. In fact, I've had some people say, Oh, it's, I don't ever be rewarded by God. You don't? What's wrong? with oh, That's selfish, you know? It's not selfish if he says run the race to get the prize. It's not selfish if he says you're going to stand before me and I'm going to reward you based on how you lived and how you did with what I gave you. So it, it's not a selfish thing at all. In fact, he's telling us to run so you can get the prize. So it is necessary we'll all appear to be rewarded based on our deeds. So let's start with the first one. We must stand. We must stand. That's A. We must stand. We must all appear. We will all stand before Jesus Christ. Believers. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is this is for believers. Believers. A reward stand. Rewarding. And, and so this is, this is us. And we're going to see there's several other places that deal with this sort of thing. Believers will stand before Him. Why in the world will we stand before Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says it's because we belong to Him. What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies. It, we belong to him. He bought us. He purchased us. It's called redemption. He purchased us by paying a price. He died and shed his blood. We belong to him. He says, I gave you a body. And I expect that this body is for my glory. So our lives are for God's glory. Uh, People will not be judged by the way we see them. They'll be judged by the way God sees them. And see, it's amazing to me to hear somebody say, "Well, that person—they uh, can't be a Christian. Uh, look how they live." I said, "You don't know how they live. Are you with them twenty-four hours a day? Do you know what their thoughts are like? You, you don't know what they're doing. You're not the judge. By the way, you're not—we're we, not the judge of each other. Who's our judge? Jesus Christ is." Let me tell you, he's a gracious God, I'll tell you that. Okay, so we must all appear. The second thing is the purpose is for rewards. Rewards. And when people talk about standing before Jesus, uh, there's this scaredness there because people say things like, I'm going to stand before Jesus. The, the, the one who died and rose again, and, and, and all my sins will be brought up, and it'll be horrible, and uh, you know everything I've ever done wrong will be brought up, and so it'll be a terrible time. Well, first of all, uh, uh, where's your sins? He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Where are our sins? They're on Christ. Are you going to stand before God for your sins? No, because why? Jesus Christ already dealt with it. He's already placed them as far as the east is the west. And that means even sins you do right now, they're already dealt with. And so you've got to remember, you're not going to stand before Jesus Christ for your sins. We're going to stand before God for our works, our deeds. And we're going to talk about that. And so it says that we must all stand before Notice he says, we'll all stand before the judgment of Jesus Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed. The word recompense means to be given back. It's like you put in, you did the good works in God's power for his glory, and he rewards you. And so we'll stand before God for our works. There's the third thing is the evaluation, and the method is is based on our works. And this is what the whole key thing is, our service for God. The method is based on our works. I I put it this way, our service for God, whether it's good, which is worthy, or bad, which is worthless. Let me read the verse to you because it scares people. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's each one of us. Judgment seat of Christ, so that we'd be recompensed, given back for the deeds in his body, for the things we've done in this body, and then it says, according to whether he's done, whether good or bad, and the word bad means worthless. It doesn't mean sin. He's not saying all your good stuff and your sins. No, he says, All your good stuff and your worthless stuff. And there are things that we do that aren't in the power of the Holy Spirit. Or the things that we do with the wrong motive. And they're burned up. They're gone. They're they're worthless, as you might say. And so when we say, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there'll be the sins are not there, but your deeds are there. And some deeds are gold, silver, and precious stone, right? And some are what? Wood, hay, and straw. In fact, look at turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're in 2 Corinthians. Just turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he's going to tell you how you are going to be evaluated, how your works are going to be evaluated. And notice I've got verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 up here on the screen. But listen to this. Let's look at verse 11. He says, talks about the foundation. He says, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying. That when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you trust in Him, you have eternal life, there's the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. We've been seeing on Sunday mornings in grow groups and everything that He's also the cornerstone. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets and Christ. He's the cornerstone. So this is the foundation. This is how you start. And then as you live your Christian life, you're to be building on this foundation. And that's how Paul uses the analogy. And he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He says, Now if any man builds on that foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw. So there's gold and silver and precious stone, but there's also wood, hay, and straw. Now, what do you think? Which one do you think is the good and which one do you think is the worthless? Okay? Okay. He's using this analogy. And then he says, each man's work will become evident. What does that mean? What does it mean, evident? Uh, it's going to be what? Visible. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be obvious to you. Now, I don't know whether other people are going to be around or not. We know you're going to be standing before him. He's going, and, and I'm going to be standing before him. And whether other people will see this or not, I don't know. But... We're going to see it, and it says, Each man's work will become evident, for that day, or the day will show it. What day? The judgment seat of Christ, the day The day you stand before Him. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And this is your day in which you're standing before Him. And notice what he says. For that day will show it, because it is to be revealed by fire. And he's using this analogy, and he says... And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. We're going to set fire to this and to this. If any man's work, which is built on, remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. So when he sets fire to it, the things that are gold, silver, and precious stone, which we call the good things, are they left? What do you get? Rewards. The wood, hay, and straw—they take fire. What happens to them? They're gone. Okay. So you don't get what? No reward. And that's what he's actually saying. And so it says there's rewards there. The one that lasts, the one that lasts, those are worthy. The ones that are burned, those are worthless. So there's going to be a day when our works, and, and whether it'll actually be, we're going to stand there and there'll be something like that and he'll set fire to it. I love what this says. It says, if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Right? Loss of what? Rewards. They don't read this wrong and say, if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He'll go to hell. This has nothing to do with that. This is rewards. But he, because the verse goes on to say, but he himself will be saved, it is through fire. So his bottom line is this. One of these days, we're going to stand before Christ and whether it's actual fire, some kind of deal, or whether it's just an evaluation, our works are going to be tested. And if we've done things, in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, which is like gold, silver, and precious stone, he'll say, well done, good and And if we haven't done things like that, it'll be burned up, and we'll suffer loss, loss of rewards. So it's, it's going to be a tough time. It's going to be a good time. In fact, there's a place over in Second Corinthians says, so each man will receive praise from God. I think every one of us, Somewhere down the line, have done at least something. What do you think? What did Jesus say? He said, "I've I, no wise, even just a cup of cold water in my name." So the next time you get a chance, give somebody some cold water. Just you're it. You're at least you're in for one. You know, right? And and that's how we look at it. So if we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll be rewarded, and one day that's going to happen. And um, here's here's a sad thing. First John two twenty eight says we can be ashamed. At his coming, because what? Would, why would we be ashamed? Just not, very not many rewards, huh? All you did was give a yeah. Well, you got one. You know, got one little cup of water. So here, here's this little nugget. Thank you, thank you. I got a nugget. You know. Well, I mean, let's just face it. I mean, there are a lot of people who are Christians <coughs> that they haven't done very much. Would you agree? Am I wrong? I mean, you know, in a normal church. About 80% of the people don't do anything. I mean, I don't mean it's sad, but they just don't. And, and, and when, when they stand before God, he's going to say, I gave you gifts, talents, and abilities. How did you use your spiritual gifts? How did you use your talents? How did you use your ability? How did you use your time? How did you lose your, your, your possessions? How did you use all the things that I gave you while I had you on this earth? And some people are going to say, I didn't really do anything. And he's going to say, you're right, you didn't. Now, they still have eternal life because eternal life is a gift. that has nothing to do with works. Eternal life is a gift. And so we can be ashamed at his coming. So we're talking about rewards. So let's raise this question, and that is, what are rewards? What are rewards? Well, the Bible talks about rewards as crowns and all different kind of things. I think, to be real honest with you, let me just say this. When you think of a crown, what do you think of? Some ruling thing, something. When you look at the Bible, and it talks about crowns. By the way, there are two different crowns. There's the Greek word diadem, and that's the crown that a king would put on his head. And then there's a Greek word stephanos. It's like, almost like the name Stephen. Stephanos means a reward. When a person like was in the Olympics, and they ran, and then remember they put that little, that little thing on top of their head? That was called a stephanos. So we're looking for what? Stephanos, that's, that's what rewards are, and, and they're places of responsibility, there's positions. Do you remember when Jesus uh, brought those people, and he said, I gave this guy this much, this guy this much, this guy this much, and they came back, and the guy came back, and he had 10, and he said, as I started with 10, I did 10 more, he said, well done, good and faithful servant, take these towns, these cities that are for you. Next guy came, and he had five, and he said, I started with five, but I got five more, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant, take these cities that are prepared for you. It appears that rewards are going to be places of responsibility to serve God in the kingdom and in the eternal state. Now that's what it's going to boil down to. And so what are the crowns? What what are they? And I've got four crowns. We could spend an entire night on the four crowns. Because there's four places in the scripture that list crowns. I just want to give you the four and, and then we'll go on to something else. But I want you to see what they are. Because this is about rewards. The first one is called the crown of joy and it basically is the crown as joy and rewards that you get when you've lit, led people to Christ. When you when you do that, Paul in um 1 Thessalonians is it, it is first, yeah, First Thessalonians 2, he says this, for wh- who is our hope? Who is our joy? Who is our crown of exhortation? Is it not you? Cuz he's just talked about how he got to lead the Thessalonians to Christ. So when you talk to people about Christ, when you share your faith, when people trust Christ, you're going to be rewarded. That's, that's one of the crowns. It's called the crown of joy. How do you feel when you get to talk to somebody about Christ and, and they trust Christ? How do you feel? Good. With great what? Great. Joy. I mean, this is what it is, crown of joy. Okay, there's a second one called the crown of righteousness. It's Second Timothy. Let me read this to you, Second Timothy. This is Paul, of course, which... He's like the hero of everybody. He's so amazing. Timothy chapter 4, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Will award me. And then not only me, but everybody whose love is appearing. The crown of righteousness has to be the one who fought the fight, kept the faith, kept being faithful, kept living for the glory of God. And there are people like Saul, who started what? Started good and what? Finished poorly. He's probably not gonna get that crown. And then there's other people who, David, started good, messed up, kept on going, never stopped. You know, and the bottom line is did you fight? Are you fighting the fight? Are you keeping the faith? Are you running the race? Paul said, I've fought the fight. I've, I've finished the course. I did it all. I'm going to get the crown of righteousness. There's a third crown called the crown of life. It's in James chapter 1. And here's what he says. Uh, this is, you're probably not going to like this one very much. John. James 1 verse 12 said, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is enduring under trials, trusting God in the trials of life. How many of you in this room have any trials going on in your life? Okay. Are you trusting God in the midst of those trials? You have to. And guess what? When you trust God in the midst of trials, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get the crown of life. You're going to get, you know, you're going to be doing that for First uh, Peter 3 verse 17 and 4 verses 14 and 16 all talk about if you're going to suffer, make sure you suffer for doing what's right. He said, you know, it's one thing to suffer because you're an evildoer. <laughs> he said, don't think you're going to get anything for that. But when you suffer, if you suffer for doing what's right, you'll be rewarded. And we're in a culture that is going to begin to attack what we believe. It's already doing it, but it's going to get worse and worse as time goes by. And are we going to endure? Are we going to stand strong? Are we going to keep believing what we believe? Are we going to stand for what we believe or not? And it's coming. That's the crown of life. And then the fourth one is the crown of glory. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me read that one for you. 1 Peter chapter 5. Paul talks about uh, he, he says shepherd the flock and love the people and don't lord it over them but prove to be examples and he says and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory this is a person who shepherds the flock now you think that's me because the the word for pastor is poimain which means the shepherd. But we all shepherd each other. We all take care of each other. We're all there when things go up and down. And so we all can shepherd the flock. And so as we shepherd the flock, we're going to be rewarded. And so the Bible talks about that. So those are the four crowns. So do you think you're going to get any? You know how we all feel? We all go, I don't think I'm going get anything, right? Because we think that we're pretty pitiful, and we are sometimes. But the bottom line is God is so great. Let me tell you what he does. He gives you eternal life. And then he gives you spiritual gifts. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit all at the same time. Then he gives you the Word of God. Then he gives you fellow believers. Then he gives you opportunities to serve. And then he empowers you as you serve. And then when it's all over, after giving you everything, he rewards you. That's how great he is. He is amazing. So the first thing we've talked about is this whole idea of rewards and standing before Christ. And, and uh, do, you feel, do you feel like scary, like scared that what's it going to be like when I stand before him? How do you feel? Tell me what you feel. It's scary, isn't it? Because we're saying, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying, right? And one of these days, we'll stand before him. And I, I think that I think that he's, he's God. He's Almighty God. What's going to happen when we stand before him? I think we're going to fall on our faces and give him all the honor and the glory and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give praise to God. So each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I think he's, he's the greatest. Okay, let's look at number two. And this is the tribulation and the second coming. Now this is the part that it really, gets, it really gets tough when you start talking about tribulation and second coming. I want to draw something up for you on the board real quickly just to give you this idea. Here's Jesus. He's dying on the cross, paying for sin. We're in the church age. The next event will be the rapture. We're taking off in in the clouds. Then there'll be a seven-year time period on the earth, which is the tribulation, followed by His second coming, followed by the thousand-year reign of Christ, followed by the great white throne judgment, followed by the eternal state. So when we're talking about tribulation and second coming, we're talking about this time period right here and the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. First coming of Christ came to what? To die. Second coming, He comes to reign or rule and then the coming in the clouds is to take out the church so that's that's how it fits together and we're going to see all that as we go through it realize we're, uh, you know here's the chart i think i put the chart in there i did okay so this is this is jesus died and rises again walking the earth for 40 days and into heaven here we are when could he come in the clouds any second which we we don't do we live as if he could come at any second we we really don't. I mean, and then he's going to come, and the church is going to be gone, and there's going to be the seven-year tribulation, which is actually the final uh, th- seven years of the Jews, 490 that he gave them back in Daniel, and then he's going to come back and set up a kingdom. So let's talk about this. The first seven years, and as uh, uh, the, uh, the seven years, there's it's divided into two parts. It, it, the three and a half years. So the first three and a half years is called the Tribulation. The second three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. There are places in the Bible that deal with the Tribulation. Matthew 24:25. Places in the Old Testament. No, more places in the New Testament. But really if you want to see the details of it it's the book of Revelation beginning about uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the churches. 4 and 5 up into heaven. And then 6 through 19 Is the tribulation time period. So if you just want to read it or study it or look at it, Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is the tribulation time period found in the scripture in details. Also, Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus gives details on the tribulation. Not so much that it bogs you down. Sometimes when you get in the book of Revelation, it gets a little. Messy because it's a lot of what they call apocalyptic literature, which is unveiling literature, and he gives you information, and he uses different things. And, and sometimes people say, well, none of this is true. Every bit of it is true. We just have to look and be able to put it together. So there, there is a, one of the things that happens, as you know, is that halfway through this tribulation, well, church is gone. We don't know how long after the rapture, that there will be a ten king federation followed by three kings followed by one king. The one king becomes the world ruler. He's the man we call the beast that comes up out of the sea. We call him the Antichrist. The Bible actually calls him the beast. He makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel. It is for seven years. At the beginning of the peace pact, there's peace at the very beginning. Then there's all kind of things, 144,000 Jews, all these kind of things. Halfway through this peace pact, he puts his idol up in the temple claiming to be God, claiming that everybody's got to have the mark of the beast so they can't buy or sell or eat or anything. And the great persecution of the Jewish people come after that. And, the, and then also the, all of those things that happen on the earth. This man of sin is evil. He's controlled by Satan. In fact, he's possessed by Satan. And uh, toward the end, Jesus Christ is going to come back to judge And that's what's going to happen. And I want you to see this. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And we see the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we said there's the tribulation. And and I I don't want to go into a whole lot of details. Uh, 144,000 Jewish people trust Christ at the beginning of the tribulation. One of the most amazing things that happens during the seven years, the nation of Israel as a people group trust in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. At the very end, it actually says they will call upon the name of the Lord and he will save them. When they call upon the name of the Lord, he comes as the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. He comes back to the Mount of Olives. That's Zechariah chapter 14. He comes back as the king to wage war. I want you to see it. Revelation 19. Look at verse 11. I saw heaven opened. And behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Who is that? That's him. That's Jesus coming as the king to judge. Look what it says. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many what? diadems. These are not stephanos. These are not rewards. These are what? Crowns. He's ruling. He's ruling. By the way, he's coming with a bunch of crowns. I mean, they're probably stacked up. Who knows what it looks like, right? In his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. By the way, I heard a guy teach the other day. (laughs) It's been about two years ago, but he said he knows what that is. What does the Bible just say? Nobody knows except him and the guy's saying he knows it? I don't think so. Anyway, he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood and what's his name? What does it say? The Word of God. That's who he is. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look, Look, oh, go back. Look at verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus coming. We're going to be happy. You know why? We're coming with him. We're coming with him. It says, in army, verse 14, and the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Guess what? We're riding, and Susie loves this because she rode horses for a long time. We're coming on horses. What kind of horses? White horses. We're coming with him. He's going to do all the fighting, we're going to do all the cheering, right? And so we're going, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Look at this right here, Matthew 25, 13. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, what will He do? And all the angels with Him, what will He do? He will sit on His glorious throne. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will rule in righteousness and justice. You understand that? Now, I want you to understand something. He's going to rule on this earth for a thousand years. Some people say, why does he have to rule on the earth for a thousand years? Why didn't he just come back? Well, when he comes back, two things. He's going to defeat the Antichrist. That's Revelation 19, verse 20, where he takes the the beast and the false prophet and throws them in the lake of fire. And then he binds Satan for a thousand years. That's chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. He binds Satan for a thousand years. But why does Jesus have to come to Jerusalem and rule on this earth for a thousand years? Why? I mean, there are people who say, well, he doesn't have to. Yes, he does. Why? Hmm? Because he's coming as the king of kings. And this is number three, the kingdom and the great white throne judgment. What kingdom are we talking about? Second Samuel 7, 12 through 17. That's the promise to Who? To David, what was David's promise? What did God say to David in Second Samuel chapter seven? You know what He said? One of your sons will sit on the throne of Israel forever. He will rule on the as the king in Jerusalem. Well, it wasn't Solomon. Why? Why wasn't it Solomon? He died. It said he will rule for ever. There's only only one person can rule forever. Who's that? That's the Messiah. That's the king. That's what he's going to do. And that's, that's what he's going to do. He's coming as the king of kings and lord of lords. Listen to this. Don't write this down. Psalm 2. He rules with a rod of iron. In 2 Samuel, he takes the throne of David. In Isaiah, the wars will end because he's the prince of peace. In Isaiah 11, he's the, the lion and the lamb are going to lay down together. He's coming as the king. Revelation 20 verse 4. I saw thrones and people were ruling. Guess what? You may have a throne. You may have. You may rule. You may rule over a, a, a nation. You may rule over a king. You may rule over a city. You may rule over something. You may rule over your backyard. Who knows what we're going to do, right? But you're going to have places of responsibility. The Messiah will rule. Guess what? Guess, guess who? Found in the book of Ezekiel. Guess who will rule under Jesus? In Jerusalem during the kingdom, who? David. Da- King David. David will. David will rule under him, and then under him is going to be the twelve. Uh, it's going to be the twelve disciples because he told them that they would have thrones and rule over Jerusalem, and and the kingdom. So, wow. Now let me show you something. So, where that's the promise to David. Revelation is the throne. How long will he rule? How long will Jesus rule? 1,000 years. Let me put that back. Where's the 1,000 year part? Oh, uh, let, me, let me show you one thing. He says, Blessed and happy those in the first resurrection. Second death has no power. First resurrection are all the people that are right here. And the second death is this over here. So we'll see that in a minute. So he rules for a 1,000 years. Did you know that there are people who say, doesn't mean a 1,000 years, but just listen to this for one second. Verse 2 and Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Verse 3, then until the thousand years are finished. Verse 4, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 5, and then the thousand years are finished. Verse 6, they will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7, when the thousand years are completed. Do you think it's a thousand years? Seven times in six verses it says a thousand years, and we have people who say, it doesn't mean a thousand years. What do you think it means? It's just ridiculous. Okay. So, he'll reign for the thousand years. Now, at the end of this thousand year reign is what we call the great white throne judgment. And uh, Oh, by the way, I want you to see one thing. But during the kingdom, look, look who's going to be there. The kingdom is going to be so unique. It'll be different than any other time that's ever been on the face of the earth. Here's why. The Old Testament believers will have been raised and have glorified bodies. Who are some of them? David, David Samuel, Abraham, Samuel, Enoch, Samuel. Noah. Although they're, they're going to all be raised and have glorified bodies. New Testament saints will be raised and changed and have glorified bodies. Who's that? Us. That's us. Paul, Peter, James. Dare, get, and believers who made it through the tribulation and weren't killed will go into the kingdom in regular bodies for the thousand-year reign there will be people on this earth, us, that'll have bodies that will never decay, and there'll be people on this earth who have regular bodies, and they will produce offspring during the thousand years. Is that going to be weird? You could look at them and say, look what I can do, right? And, and not all of them, not all the offspring will believe. In fact, many of the what we will understand is that the believers in normal bodies will go into the kingdom. They will produce offspring, which are normal-bodied people. Many of them will not believe, even though Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, that's why at the very end of the thousand years, Satan is released for a short time, and there is what they call the final battle. And there is... It says that the enemy who surrounds and comes after Jesus is as the sand on the seashore. That means many people will not believe. Now, what that tells you is this. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Some people are not going to believe. Well, you put them in a garden. You put them in a perfect world. You put them in a kingdom with the king, and they're still not going to believe. And it's just, it breaks your heart. And so after this, there comes the judgment, which is the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, if you're there, it says verse 11, I saw a great <coughs> white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. This is Jesus. We, we have already been to the judgment seat of Christ, which is the rewarding stand. That's a rewarding stand. This is not a rewarding stand. This is called the great white throne judgment. And what's going to happen is unbelievers are raised from the dead and stand before Christ and the books are opened on their deeds, not their sins. you got to understand, where are the unbelievers' sins? They're on Christ. Nobody goes to hell because of sin. Why do people go to hell? Because they did not believe. And if they believe their names are found written where? In the book of life. If they didn't believe their names are not found what? written in the book of life and so it actually says in verse 15 of revelation 20 and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he is thrown into the lake of fire that's what the great white throne judgment is all about and the sad thing is that nobody goes to hell for sin because we're all sinners and jesus paid for all sin he's done it all and so why do people go to hell Because they have not believed. That's exactly it. What do you get when you believe? Eternal life. life. Exactly. Well, speaking of eternal, what about the eternal state? Here we go. What is it going to be like out here? You know, we never do much out here. We just say, it's out there. (laughs) And we don't draw up much. We don't talk much about it. What's it going to be like? Well, I think you're going to really be amazed. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven the first earth passed away. What's going to happen to this earth and this heavens? It's gone. And he's going to make a new heaven, a new earth. And look, there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, I think this is it. Okay, it's called the new Jerusalem. Let me just remind you on the chart where we are. It's after the great white throne of judgment. We're now into the eternal state. This is Revelation chapters 20. Uh, 21 and 22, this is where we are. And so, here's here's what I love. He said to me, it's done. Jesus is talking to John, and he says, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? Beginning and the end. Beginning and the end. In that, he goes on and explains it. The beginning and the end. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring. Of the water of life without cost. She said, you're a Jew and you talk to me, a Samaritan, and you ask me for water. And he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you the living water. The water of life. That's eternal life. And it's how, how much how much does it cost? Without cost. What does it cost anyone to have eternal life? Absolutely nothing. Salvation, eternal life is free by faith, no cost. Well, we're gonna quickly, because of time, we're gonna see what this holy city looks like. Okay? And Revelation chapter 21, 10 through 21 gives a description. Uh, It says this, it says, He carried me away and I saw this new Jerusalem and this city and it had high walls and it had 12 gates and it had 12 angels and it had the 12 apostles and it had all this stuff and it had three different gates. So it's got 12 gates and it's got 12 foundation stones and the streets are made of what? Gold. Listen to this. And the 12 gates were what? 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. When you hear pearly gates, they are pearls. But it's not a bunch of gates with a bunch of little pearls on it. Each gate is a what? A giant pearl. And the streets are gold. You can see through it. And the city is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine that, that that's big. Do you think all the people who believe could fit in that? Yes. My gracious. My gracious. So I want to tell you. We're going to look at this city in two ways. We're going to tell you what's not there, and then we're going to tell you what's there. I'll go real fast on what's not there, and I'll slow down on what's there. So what's not there? And by the way, on your handout, when we get to number two, it's 21-4, not 21-2. So change that, okay? Number one, you know what's not there? There's no sea. What? How many of you like the ocean and the sea? There won't be any. I don't understand it. In the Jewish culture, ocean was bad. Ocean was, it was unknown. All the stuff and the waves and all that. So the ocean w- was, was sort of a, an unknown thing. And, and in the New Jerusalem, there, there is no sea. Okay? I, you know I, You know, everything's going to be ordered. There will be no confusion. Guess what? There will be no what? No death. Listen to this. Listen to this verse. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no longer any death. There'll be no longer any mourning. There'll be no crying. There'll be no pain. You know, your people say, when you go to heaven, there won't be any crying or anything. No, that's not right. When you get to the eternal state, there won't be any crying or pain. But there'll be crying and pain until the eternal state. There'll be sadness. But then there will be no death, no mourning, no sadness, no crying, no pain. The next one, guess what? There'll be no temple. You go, no temple. You know why? Because the Lord, the God, Almighty God and the Lamb, they're, they're the temple. They're the temple. Twenty-one, twenty-two. He says, I saw no temple for the Lord God, the Almighty and His Lamb are the temple. There won't be a temple in the New Jerusalem. Every time else, we've always been some kind of temple. There's been a tabernacle, and a temple, and they built a new temple. Remember when they came back from captivity and built a temple, and then they built a temple that got destroyed in Jesus' day, and there'll be a temple during the tribulation? There'll be a temple during the kingdom. But there won't be a temple in the eternal state. There'll be no sun or moon. Why? You don't need for any light. You don't need it. It says... And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And the lamp is the Lamb. Can you imagine that? You know, and look at this there's no night. No night. Verse 25 In the daytime, there'll be no night. (laughs) In the daytime, there'll be no night. So it's going to always be daytime. I love daytime. Sleeping's waste of time. That, well, I've always thought sleeping sort of a waste of time. Okay. Guess what? There's more. There's more. There's nothing unclean. Twenty-one twenty-seven. And nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying will ever come in. Only those names who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Only people there will be believers. And there's one other thing. There'll be no curse. Chapter twenty-two, verse three, says there'll no longer be any curse. Wow! So none of that'll be there. Well, guess what's going to be there? What do you think's going to be there? Well, guess what? The water, the river of the water of life. Isn't that funny? He always uses water and life, the living water. Twenty-two, one. He showed me a river of water of life clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. So here's going to be the throne of God. He'll be sitting there and the Lamb and water will be coming from there and it's called the river of life. And it's a really a picture of eternal life and, 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 and notice how it says it. It says it's clear as crystal and it goes down the middle of the street. What street? I don't. This is a New Jerusalem, so I guess it's the New Jerusalem Street. Guess what else going to be there? The tree of life. Revelation 22.2, two, in the middle of the street, it says, On either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, I don't want you to think one tree. I think there are going to be a whole bunch of tree, trees, but it's called the tree of life. And notice this. Let me, let me throw this out. Is, will there be any time in eternity... Will there be any time in eternity? Yes. Watch. It says, uh, On the either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every what? Every what? Month. Every month. There's, some, there's time in eternity. And the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nation. So he, every month you go out there and go, Hmm, oranges. Hmm, apples. Nairs. Who knows what it'll be? Who knows, Right? And so, there's this, this 12 kind of fruit, uh, and, and uh, th- there'll be the nation of Israel, the churches, the nations, everything's going to be together, there's believers, and this is the tree of life. And there's one other thing that will be there. You ready? The throne of God. Revelation 22, 3, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. So, what are we going to see in the eternal state? The river of life, the tree of life, and the throne of God. It's going to be amazing. And wow, what will we do? We will serve him forever. There will be no any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That means we belong to him. What will we do forever? Worship and serve Him. And, serve him. And, and, and what's going to be the basis of our service? Huh? Based on our rewards. Man, can you imagine for like eternity sweeping up? Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm a, I'll am i be over there saying, anybody want some oranges? Will the Father be, as the Father of Spirit? Well, this is the throne. It says, the throne of God and of the Lamb. And who's the Lamb? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is Jesus. So, I don't know. And, and I've always said that I don't know if we'll ever see the Father because he's a spirit being. Maybe we'll see some kind of manifestation of him. We see Jesus. He's got a body. And I love this. Take the water of life, How? It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. The one who thirsts, say, come. The one who hears, come. The one who wishes, take from the water of life without cost. Is salvation a gift or is it works? How many people are so confused that they think you have to do something good to get to God? He keeps saying, you take the water of life without cost. It's free. The grace of God. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The story of the Bible, what is it? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. What have we seen? the world of our Savior, Jesus. We saw Israel's captivity, their return. We saw in between that. We saw his first coming, his death, the resurrection. We saw the church, the rapture, the second coming, the kingdom, the eternal state. We saw all that history. saw all that background over these 14 weeks. We've seen a lot of great things. But it all goes back to one person, Jesus. He's the seed of woman. Let me ask you this. As you write down seed of woman, what will the seed of woman do? Crush the head of the serpent. He's the seed of Abraham. What will the seed of Abraham do? He will bless the whole world. What will, who's the son of David? What will he do as the son of David? He'll be the king of kings. What will he do as the son of man? He, he will set up a kingdom, what? That will never end. What is he as the son of Mary? He's the savior and the king. What is He as the Son of God? The one who is well-pleasing to the Father. And what is He as the Lamb of God? What is He? Takes away the sin of the world. Don't ever, don't ever take this for granted. It's just too amazing. Too amazing. Okay, we're almost through. I'm sorry. We'll go fast. The last points. Let's go. Here's the key points. You ready? You can write them down if you want to. Realize what will not be in the eternal state. Give me something that won't be there. Death, death sun, moon, nighttime. time. S- huh? Sleep. sleep. <laughs> won't be any sleep. Yeah, well, it might be. Who knows? No sea, no death, no pain, no mourning, no crying, no temple, no sun, no night, nothing unclean, no curse. Realize what will be in the eternal state. What will be there? The, the river of life, the tree of life, and the throne of God. <clears throat> Let's serve Christ now. Just as we will serve Him in the eternal state. What do you want to do? Uh, you want to hear Him say what? Well done. Well done. That's, all. That's what we want. And number four, let's understand that salvation is the water of life and without cost. How many times do you get to talk to somebody and tell them the greatest truth of all that salvation is a gift? Costs them absolutely nothing. So here's our applications. (coughs) Has everybody got most everything written down? Here's sort of the applications for the class, and that is let's have an understanding of Jesus and his world, seeing the flow of the Bible. As we go all the way back and we started back with the nation going into captivity and then coming out of captivity and the end between the Testaments and the beginning of the New Testament and John the Baptist, Jesus being born, all of those things, learning who the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the and the Herodians and all those different groups were. We saw everything, saw the flow all the way up. See the flow of the Bible. May we be ready to give. It's supposed to be an answer, not and answer, but give. To give an answer to others of what we believe, be ready to tell people what you believe and put it together. That's why we have this. And you got this resources now in your little notebook, and you can use them. You can look up things when people want to say, "Well, who are these Pharisees?" You can say, "Let let me look it up. I can tell you who they are," or the Sadducees, or the Herodians. You can do that. Be ready to give an answer to what we believe. The third one: May we worship and serve Jesus, who is the Savior. And the king. Because when we serve him now, we'll get to do what? Serve him him later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then last but not least, I'll put this one up. May our lives bring glory to Jesus Christ.